What's up, everybody? Nick Finzer here. Welcome to the Nick Finzer Audio Experience. Today, we are diving into a few questions in an Ask Nip Nick episode, number 85, if you want to look it up on YouTube. The best exercises to work on intonation. How do you sync your articulation with your slide positions? What are old rules and what are new rules? What are rules? Let's talk about all that stuff. And uh, we're so thankful that you're here listening and um, I'm so glad to share all of this with you and appreciate your ongoing support. So if you want to check out some of my upcoming shows and performances, just make sure you head on over to nickfinzermusic.com. There's some shows coming up that I'm very excited about and a project in 2024 that I cannot wait to share with you. And uh, more information on that is coming soon. But until then, enjoy the podcast and we will catch you in the next episode. Before we get into the questions, obviously I've been talking a lot about the UNT Con Selmer 2021 Jazz Trombone Day. The finalists will be announced hopefully this week. So I'm going to put this up here and we've got our schedule, the schedule for Jazz Trombone Day 2021. This is all central time zone. 10 a.m. Central it'll start. It'll be streamed live. Music.unt.edu slash JTBN Day uh, is going to be there. So you can check that out and it'll start at 10. We're going to have then some two really great guest artists to hang out with us that are sponsored by our uh, previous sponsor, BAC Musical Instruments. They're doing a virtual sponsorship to have two great guest artists present masterclasses this year. TJ Norris was a student of mine at uh, Florida State University, actually. And so it's going to be super cool to have him at UNT uh, to do a little bit of playing, hanging. And uh, he's been playing with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. He lives in New Orleans. Also, in addition to TJ, we're going to have sponsored by BAC also Jeffrey Miller. Jeffrey Miller's in New York. He's played with a lot of people. So Jeffrey Miller will be here for that. And that'll be really fun. Uh, being able to hang out with him virtually. We'll be broadcasting the Zoom calls with the, the virtual people into our main Lab West area. It'll be projected. We've got it all worked out. It's going to be really great uh, to be able to um, have the, those pe- folks. And then, of course, our in-person guest artist is Ido Mushalem. And Ido, if you don't know, he's from L.A. And he uh, is a fantastic trombonist. He is former member of the Thelonious Monk Institute. And uh, it's just going to be super great to have him. He's going to be playing a concert with the YouTubes, the UNT YouTubes. We're going to, of course, hear from the YouTubes. We're having the Oklahoma State University trombone group, jazz trombone group. They're going to come and play. And I'll, and then we're going to also have me open the day with a little playing, a little talking. So let's get to the questions. A favorite piece for orchestra. I like um, a lot of different things. I was pretty obsessed like with the usual like things that people like when they're young and coming up like all the trombone excerpts like ride of the valkyries and loud orchestra stuff there was a phase a friend of mine we used to like you know listen to a lot of classical classical orchestra music we listened to the chicago symphony a lot legendary in the brass world of course i've not um listened to a lot of new orchestra music i've always been fascinated by like the collaborations in jazz were that are like studio orchestra you know and that's been always super cool to check out. There's a great Curtis Fuller record with orchestra rhythm section called Cabin in the Sky. It's not really an orchestra piece, but it's a great jazz record. What are the best exercises to work on intonation? So what I use to work on intonation are drones. And coincidentally, I've been working on a course for a long time now on drones and using drones and different ways to practice with drones uh, because you're never playing in a vacuum, hardly ever. And if you have you know, perfect pitch or perfect frequency and you're always like smack on, that's great. But most of the time you have to play with whoever is playing. An upright bass, you know, is kind of like trombone and it's not like 
fixed pitch, you know, it's going to fluctuate from player to player. So that's to say you got to use drones and tune with your ears, not with your eyes. There's fancy metronome, not metronomes, tuners that have all these like smiley faces and all these things, but you don't tune with your eyes, you tune with your ears. That means that every pitch is going to be in a different place, in a different key. That's the first kind of like thing that you have to realize. Take time to use drones in every key. Because check it out, like F, for example, is in one place when it's F, when it's in the key of F. It's in another place, a very similar place, when it's in the key of B flat. However, F natural is in a different place in D minor than it is in um, F major. And it's in a different place in D flat major than it is in D minor. And it's in a different place altogether again when it's in G flat. Just to say you gotta tune every note in every key. An interesting thing I've been experimenting with in terms of intonation, not only do you have the choice of where you place the pitch, where it is like sharp or flat, but also what position you use, meaning what uh, overtone series is it a part of. If you play in a G flat major chord, for example, you have a G flat, a D flat, and a B flat above the staff. If you're playing that B flat above the staff and you get the other guys to hold G flat and D flat, or just use a drone, and you, those guys are gonna be in fifth position, right? fifth position G flat, fifth position D flat. And then if you play your B flat in fifth versus first, it feels different because it's in a different part of the overtone series and, and it resonates differently. Is there ever a scenario where you think someone should use visual tuners? Not really. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, if you're, if you're all by yourself, you can use a visual tuner. If you need to try to find out where the center of the pitch is, you can use a visual tuner. I'm not saying there's no place for a visual tuner, but you don't tune with your eyes. You have to, but if, sometimes you need to learn, you know, what the tendencies of your notes are. You know, if you would need to actually learn that it, that F fifth partial is a fifth partial, sixth partial F is like always really sharp. So E, E flat, D, they're all really sharp. So you, you want to like see it because you need to see it to believe it. Maybe you want to use a visual tuner. But most of the time, man, you're like playing with people. When you're playing with people, you're not looking at a tuner. So if you start to rely on the tuner, you get off. And if you're not thinking about intonation at all times, you're kind of making a mistake. How do you teach tailgating for younger students who don't have as much experience? So, you know, tailgating is a very specific kind of skill and very particular to different eras. And I think that just one answer to that is not super relevant. I think there's multiple answers because there's an answer in terms of you're playing a gig today in modern day New Orleans with musicians playing that repertoire, but in a style of today. And then there's like the traditional trad jazz, um, Dixieland kind of like throwback, nostalgic, historical perspective. And those kind of sound different, you know? And so I think there's a place for both and both are good and both are great. And there's not the one is better. If you want to be really historically accurate, you want to transcribe those guys that were doing it back in the 20s. Kid Ori, Joe Oliver, King Oliver, really digging into that stuff. But then you'd listen to something like, you know, the, the history of Louis Armstrong and his groups. You know, there's Jack Teagarden in there, some, and they're in the middle. And then like towards the end is Trummy Young, and he is doing something different than Kid Ori did. But I go to Kid Ori to get kind of the, the general idea. And generally, the idea is you have to Think about each range and what each range of instruments is doing. And then another thing is like staying out of the way. We tend to play too much. What you notice is that they actually don't play constantly. You just have to hear it. Just like you were gonna check out JJ Johnson and check out Bebop and all of that. You just gotta go listen to the, 
to the tailgating stuff. Tip on articulation synced with slide position. Yeah, so that goes directly hand in hand with you know throw and catch is that like you're, you've got to align your slide exactly with the horn. So you, you've got to practice scales, arpeggios, anything that you're doing slow and throwing and catching. Right, you see, I'm throwing, I'm catching, the slide is moving extremely fast, even if I'm playing legato. It's zippy. It's fast. The slide always needs to move fast, and you throw it and catch it, and then to you got to just make sure that you're going exactly there in time, so that your tongue and your slide are hitting the positions. It's cleaner when you're throwing right to it and your tongue hits. It's like it's rhythmic. You know this this hand is rhythmic. If you watch my hand and I'm playing, I mean I don't know that I do this correctly all the time. I'm always trying to get better at it. You got to be rhythmic with the slide, just like you're rhythmic with your tongue. So that helps you to align the tongue and the slide together. Five lead trombone players everyone should know. I think Vincent Gardner is a great lead trombone player. I, I love how Lawrence Brown played uh, lead in Duke's band. He switched around, I say that, because he switched around, but he played lead uh, a lot of the time. Irby Green is a classic one, of course. Dick Nash, another West Coast one. Andy Martin's a great lead player. That's five. I mean, people like Dave Steinmeier from the Airmen of Note. What I really like about what like Vincent Gardner does is it sounds like him. I mean, and I think that's amazing that he can cut through and also be so stylized. And then the other people that are like on the scene doing it so well uh, in New York is like Michael Davis, great lead player. Ryan Keberly, amazing lead player too. He's like so consistent and like so he knows the style, the history of the music so well. Um, I mean, all these guys do, but I always really liked playing with Ryan playing lead. Marshall Jokes is a great lead player. Uh, Elliot Mason plays lead really great too. I mean, if you're thinking about like, okay, so how do all these people play lead? You know, it's about being clear with your phrasing. It's about um, cutting through and setting the style and the vibe of the section. It's about matching with what's happening behind you. You know, all of those things. How many times have you played with Michael Deese? Well, not that many times, actually. We've run into each other a bunch, but uh, I subbed in his big band a couple times in New York. We did the ITF 2019 All-Star Concert, played at some jam sessions. There were some Juilliard events, I think we did. Maybe a rehearsal with Christian McBride's big band. Maybe a rehearsal with um, Jimmy Heath's big band. I don't know, sometimes, but not that many times. And it's scary every time. If I had to write a new jazz composition for any jazz trombone player, who would that be? The most likely composition would be written for myself uh, because that's what I'm doing right now. I'm working on a new piece. I won a Chamber Music America grant this uh, last summer, and so I'm writing a new piece for my band. If I had to write a new jazz composition for any other trombone player, I guess it would probably be for um, one of my heroes, man, either Steve Davis or for Wycliffe Gordon or Steve Turay any one of my teachers, you know. Nick, are you suggesting you would play an alternate position based on key and the overtones rather than ease of getting to and from the position? Sometimes, yes, for sure. Like in G flat, it's both easier and better in tune. To play everything out in fifth position. And that B flat, you can play more in tune with where it needs to be, a little low, right? 
uh, in, in the key of G flat. Alternate positions have many functions. One is using them to allow you to swing correctly or like flow, make it easier to play. So maybe it's closest. Maybe it's keeping the slide in the same direction for the longest period of time. Uh, and maybe it's because you want to use or not use a natural slur. Uh, maybe you want to do it because it's in a certain key. Right? So there's many considerations, and sometimes you have to combine them all together. And so when I'm practicing, when I'm thinking about alternate positions, kind of balancing it and trying it different ways. Like, okay, if I play this here, I play this here, it's going to flow better, but it's a little further. Uh, this is a little more awkward. This uses a little bit more of a slur, you know, like all these different things, uh, all those considerations. But then sometimes I'm like, oh, well, we're in this key, so I really want to maybe play that in this position. So it's a combination, John, of all those um, different considerations. It's not just like a hard and fast, for me at least, it's not a hard and fast rule. You know, and I break my, my own rules all the time. Assuming you've performed in many master classes as a student, what do you remember the clinician giving you about anything in particular that needed serious improvement? Well, the most memorable master class, I was in high school, a master class for uh, Winton, Marcellus. Man, he like got right to the heart. He hit me right in the heart, man. Um, I thought I knew what I was doing, and he was just like, man, you don't know what you're doing. Like, what are you playing? I don't exactly, I'm not trying to put w words in his mouth at this moment, but it was something to the effect of, you're sad, you know? And it cut me so deep, man. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Cause, but he was right, obviously. He was totally right. I wasn't listening to the music. I didn't have any context for the music. I didn't, you know, and I listened to jazz, but it was like what I was playing in jazz band, which was Ellington stuff, right? But like I had two JJ records and I was trying to learn that sort of stuff. But then I wasn't applying it to the improvisation stuff in, a, in any kind of way. I didn't know what it, chord extensions were. I didn't know anything, any of that stuff. Um, until college or late, you know, because I was a singer and I, I had kind of like new music and I knew what things were supposed to sound like and like I had a decent ear so I could kind of pick things out, but like I never really learned what anything was, so it took me a long time to catch up in that way. In jazz education right now, there seems to be a switch in most institutions either focus on the tradition of jazz or what's coming up. Should the traditional sounds of Ellington and Basie still be applied in jazz education going forward despite what is new now? Uh, yes. Um, Ellington sounds, to me, Ellington, even though the recordings might sound old, when you play it live, it can go in a lot of directions. It, his music was built to be played in the moment, in the time, and customized to the players that are in the band. Same thing with Count Basie. Totally different approach, but it's all about the people in the band. You're not going to play those features for Al Gray unless you have another cat that can do an Al Gray not impression, but like do something a la Al Gray in that kind of vibe and style, you're not going to do it, right? But as a student in the education, in the music, it's your job, I believe, to know what happened before so that you can make an informed decision going forward. You hear something and you can react because you know what it's supposed to sound like. I'm not saying that every student is going to be a master of every style, but what sets you apart is the things that you get really good at and that you are knowledgeable about and that can separate you out from the next person. When you talk about old rules, what did those look like and how many new rules are you coming up with? No, but it's it's kind of a similar question and similar answers. Knowing what happened and how to play the old style correctly or being dogmatic about a bebop style or being dogmatic about not playing a certain way. I think there's a time and a place for all of that, you know. I try to think of music 
in terms of like what the composer maybe intended and certain com and some of that sometimes that requires knowing what like knowing not just like what they intended but what their vibe was you can kind of tell from someone like ellington but just because there was a there's so much volume of stuff you can be like oh well he wanted the cats in the band to do their thing you know he wanted to set them up for success wanted to feature their personalities and that's well documented so in other cases you might not know i mean i don't know some someone less well known you know what their like intention was and it doesn't always matter but like when you think about rules it's like yeah you should play a bebop tune like a bebop tune is supposed to sound when you play celia by bud powell it should sound like celia when i play an ornette coleman tune it should not sound like bird you <laughs> right like it's each every tune lives in its own universe in my mind or collection of tunes that lives in a universe you know all songbook tunes sound the same all songbook ballads sound the same the chords are different but they all sound the same because they're using the same kind of harmonies and the same type of thing some are major some are minor some start on ones some go to the four chords some go to the relative minor some you know there's a whole bunch of places and things that they do but they all kind of have a similar aesthetic same with bebop same with free same with brazilian same with this same with that like it all has a flavor and you kind of get into those combinations you know in general the thing about rules is that um you have to know what they are first and then you have to demonstrate that you can do them and that's what kind of like going to college for jazz is about you're learning the rules so that you can go break the rules what are questions in your lessons with students or classes that people ask you all the time uh, a lot of people want to ask about doodle tonguing, but I don't doodle tongue. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. Uh, sometimes people ask about composition. I just I view it all as the same thing, you know, improvising and composing and playing music. It's all the same. It's all one thing. It's all being informed. It's all understanding harmony and voice leading uh, so that you can either participate or decide not to participate in that harmony and voice leading and then developing your own opinion about music and what it should sound like some people want the magic answer but there is no magic answer can't go to a teacher looking for that magic answer you know it's all about being informed but anyway we got to wrap up for today but i was glad to hang out with all of you today and uh, we hope to see you all at jazz trombone day on november 20th and thanks for hanging out with me today we'll catch you all real soon so have a good day great week and uh see see you later